When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Breakfast on SEN. Welcome back to Summer Breakfast, Julian DeStoop and Bryce McGain with you. If you're just joining us for the first time, happy new year. Hope you brought in the new year in style. A big, it's always a big test, the pink test, and even more significant this year because it's the last time that we will see David Warner at the top of the order in the Australian Test Team. One man will be part of the action as the SEN Test Cricket Team gets underway tomorrow is Adam Collins, and he joins us. Hello, Colo. Good morning, Jules. Yes, great to be with you. Happy New Year. Any resolutions uh, in the Collins household? Oh, just the usual ones that you've failed to meet anyway, like X <laughs> amount of books to read and yes. X amount of th- you know, like it's stuff that I, I, I strongly uh, hope that I can meet, but I, you know, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary, that's for sure. Yeah, exercise, all those things that we probably don't meet. Uh, in the end, uh, play due to get underway tomorrow. How concerned are we with the forecast in Sydney? It doesn't look great. It doesn't, and what, what do you know? Today, I'm just I'm in Sydney already, and not a cloud in the sky. Stunning. It's meant to be 27 <laughs> and perfect all day today, but yeah, it's staggering the um, number of days of Test cricket that get rained out in Sydney compared to other venues in Australia. Indeed, even around the world, it's just dreadful luck with weather at this time of year in Sydney. Now, I, I don't believe it's dire this week. I know last year was a draw a rain-affected draw against South Africa, and we've had other test matches affected in that way. It doesn't look that way from the app that I've been looking at, but, yeah, it feels like there might be some rain as part of the story tomorrow. Colo, great to be catching up with you once again. A bit of a surprise, Dave Warner, or did it surprise you, uh, rather that he um, decided to pull out of one-day cricket as well as the test match? It it doesn't. It's quite shrewd. The, The way to understand it is that, Warner really wants to go on the T20 circuit <clears throat> and he's a nationally contracted player. And those two things are inconsistent because you can't go fully on the circuit uh, while you're um, asking for no objection certificates from Cricket Australia. That can get complex. So by retiring from a form of the game uh, in the short term, one day cricket and still leaving himself available for selection at the na- next major tournament, the Champions Trophy, he's kind of played it off the break. I mean, I think that the probability of him being picked in the uh, Champions Trophy squad for 2025 is quite low because they'll be using that tournament as a uh, way of ramping up to their World Cup defence in 2027. So I don't think there's a high probability of him being picked. But the only way he could marry up what he wants to do in T20 domestic land uh, and still be a nationally contracted player probably is to drop uh, the 50-over format in the short term. So, look, he's always going to... Um, uh, he's always going to prompt strong opinions, Dave Warner. He said as much in his farewell press conference yesterday, which was quite an emotional uh, and lengthy uh, conversation that he had with the reporters at the SCG. There's quite a lot in that. Um, But yeah, it's clear to me that 
based on the conversation we had on our coverage at the MCG last week with Todd Greenberg about um, the strong possibility of Warner um, not playing against the West Indies later in the summer in 50 over in T20 cricket, that uh, I, I suppose this is the, the natural friction point. If you, you can't skip series if you're still playing, if he's still available for the format, but he can if he's retired. And we saw what Ben Stokes did earlier this year. Um, he came back out of retirement because it was a one-day World Cup around the corner. Quinton de Cox done a similar thing for South Africa. He's retired from one-dayers, but he's only 31. I mean, what, what chance he comes back and returns for the next World Cup or just before the next World Cup in 2027? So I, I, my wider point is expect to see more of this kind of thing with players who want to fill their boots on the on the T20 domestic circuit, and I'm sure Warner will do that for a number of years now. And then slide out of retirement as required down the track. Yep. Yeah. Um, Dave, the reception he got from the MCG, even though he missed out in that second innings, was, was quite heartwarming, to be honest. It was a, it was a standing ovation for those around him. It was he, he enters and exits through the members, so it might be a little bit different to the outer. What sort of reception do you think he might get in Sydney? I think it will be pretty strong. Look, again, he... There'll be some people uh, who will never forgive him for what happened mm. at Newlands in 2018. Indeed, there were some people who w- would never cop him anyway. I think that's the nature of Warner, his personality. Um, he is, a, uh, he is a, a, a chalk and cheese character, a Marmite character, they might say, in the UK. He um, divides opinion, always has. The unconventional route through to test cricket for him, having not played a first-class game before, having made his Australian debut in T20 cricket, famously at the MCG, uh, back in early 2009. So it's been an unconventional way in, an unconventional career, um, uh, you know, littered with, uh, earlier on, littered with uh, disciplinary issues and then famously at Cape Town in 2018. Um, but as he said himself in an interview that's gone in the paper today, um, he's not going to tell that story of what happened in the Newlands dressing room himself. He's going to wait till others retire and tell that story first because he feels like it needs to be told by other witnesses to it rather than him because uh, he knows that no one will believe him anyway. So I think that's quite self-aware from Warner, knowing that he wants the truth to be revealed on that incident and that will, you know, the truth will set him free, so to speak. Um, but he doesn't want to be uh, the first mover on that because uh, there, there were a lot of people in that dressing room that day. Colo, he believes he's won some respect back since he returned uh, to international level following what happened there at Cape Town. Do you, th- do you think he has? I think, I think so. Uh, from a playing perspective, look, there, there, there's the other part of this with Warner where there have been a lot of people who've formed the view about two years ago that he, wasn't, uh, he shouldn't still be in the test team. But that's, been, that's a tough one because it's a subjective call, right? It's not cut and dry with Warner whether he should have been playing test cricket. There's the argument that he's... Uh, blocked the progress of a younger player for maybe the last 12 months. He said himself yesterday that he thought that his final test might be lost if he wasn't making runs. That was one of the misunderstood bits of 2023 for mine. It's that he never said, I'm retiring at mm. the SCG. You are picking me until the SCG. He said, provided I keep making runs, that'll be my last test match. I mean, it's, it's a small nuance, but it's an important one here that he wasn't demanding the selectors pick him all the way through. He knew he was subject to the usual criteria that if he made runs he'd be picked and if he didn't he wouldn't and the way I always thought of it was that he had a two test run up so if he failed in consecutive test matches um, from the start of that England run that he would have been dropped and he said as much at his press conference yesterday in relation to Lords had he missed out at Edgbaston and Lords he would have finished up he would have been told he was finishing up by the selectors and as it turned out he made runs in both of those test matches and made a contribution most of the way through the series, earned himself an Australian summer, made 100 upon returning Perth two weeks ago and kind of put all that to bed. So, um, yeah, so there'll be some people who think that he, he shouldn't have been there in the first place post Cape Town, others who think he should have retired a time ago. But 
I reckon the majority of people, it's hard to judge this, of course, but my, my instinct is the majority of people uh, will know that, uh, will, will, will appreciate who he's been as a cricketer uh, and will, will probably, over time, uh, have more to say and more to think around what happened in Cape Town. Um, that's, that's inevitably going to happen. Uh, but I, I do, my, look, given where he was to where he is now five years on from Cape Town, um, I think he's in a better place than that for sure. He was public enemy number one after that. So um, I, it'll be interesting to see how he manages that post-cricket, given he's moving on to television after this. He's made that pretty clear. He's going to be a TV commentator as of the end of uh, this summer. So, um, yeah, how he, how he plays it from here will be interesting. But I think he leaves in a better place than he has for a while. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, Colo. Uh, he, how he will go about his style. His, uh, his cricket style has been very con- combative. I wonder how he'll go behind the mic, which uh, I'm looking forward to. As you say, it'll be coming sooner rather than later. Uh, what can we expect from a Pakistan uh, perspective? I, I think from mm. from what I've seen, they're fast learners. They're learning really quickly and they're learning mm. how to withstand a lot of pressure on you know these foreign conditions. Sydney could suit them quite a bit. What are your expectations? I think it, well, the curator said yesterday they're, they're anticipating a pitch that turns a bit. Now, we often hear that when coming to Sydney. <laughs> I suppose it's a little bit like when we used to go to the Wacker and they have patience and it wouldn't and sit with Sydney. We haven't seen loads of spin, but the custom has been to at least consider a second spinner. Ashton Agar played at Sydney for Australia this time last year in, a, in, a, in an attack that had two spinners. He, he bowling with Nathan Lyons. So, look, Pakistan don't have that luxury, really. Um, they've got possibly Abra Ahmed uh, returning to fitness. We haven't had that clarified by the Pakistani team yet, but he was going to be their number one spinner on this trip before injuring himself uh, at the start of the trip. So he's missed the first two test matches. He's, uh, he's a, a, I would call him a, a kind of an old school leggy Bryce yep. in that he, he bowls, uh, you know, he bowls an unplayable every over, a half tracker every over and a full toss every second over. But um, that's, but that works. He's got lots of test wickets and a, um, at a, at a, in a relatively short space of time, having made his debut against England about 14 or 15 months ago. Um, he, he's distinctive as well. He bowls in the glasses and all the rest of it. So hopefully he's fit and he gets a chance to bowl in, uh, in, in Sydney starting tomorrow. Uh, they've also got Mohamed Nawaz, who uh, was brought into the squad with Noman Ali, went down with appendicitis a couple of weeks ago. Mohamed Nawaz has got lots of experience. You don't naturally think of him as a test spinner. He's more a one-day all-rounder, truth told. But... Um, but it's got lots of experience playing in the shorter forms for Pakistan. So in the unlikely event, they pulled the, the two spinner lever. They, they might have two available, but we're not yet clear about Abra's fitness. And I think you're right about the broader point. They're learning on the job. This isn't easy winning in Australia. We um, have only seen Pakistan win four test matches here ever, going all the way back to 1964. And by here, I mean in the country, not just Sydney. Mm. Um, the last they won was in 1995 at the SCG. They've lost 16 in a row in Australia. So... Um, you thought, and that's, I'm not giving them a leave pass here, but it's, it, it isn't easy to do. And last week they came as close as they've come in a long time. They lost by 79 runs and in the final session on that fourth day for about five minutes there uh, with Salman batting with Rizwan, it felt like they might have, uh, they, they might have it in them to, to get over the line and chase 317, which would have been very special. So uh, look, they did a lot right at Melbourne last week. They won. They won a number of sessions, but the, the challenge in Australia isn't winning sessions or winning half a day. You've got to win day after day. You've got to completely suppress the home side, and they weren't able to quite do that. But if they can do so at Sydney and leave here with a test victory or even a draw, um, that could be something to build on. Uh, and I think that's important because this Pakistan side want to get to a better place. Their captain, Shah Massoud, talked an awful lot about them 
uh, playing a brand of cricket which is more sustainable, a quicker brand of cricket, a more aggressive brand of cricket. Well, you know, we've seen signs of that. Uh, and, yeah, if they can turn that into something this week at Sydney, that, that'll be significant in their, in their short to medium term development. We're speaking with Adam Collins from the SEN Test Cricket Team. It's our McCafe Coffee Catch-Up. Brewster made ice cold drive through for your ice coffee favourites at McCafe. Yeah, so we know David Warner's uh, done after this Test match. I just had a few people uh, texting through this morning, Colo, about Usman Kawaja, same age as David Warner. How, how long do you think um, Usman can keep opening the batting at Test level? Well, I think he'll make up for lost time and play for as long as he can. I, I don't imagine we'll see a scenario where Kalaja does it, well, I'm going to retire at this date type of thing. It'll be more like when he reaches his natural end point, he'll jump off the merry-go-round would be my suspicion. So whether that's next year, the India series, there's quite a bit riding on that for this generation of Australian players, Jules. Remembering they lost in 2020, yeah. 2021 in, in, in dramatic circumstances at the Gabba. Usman wasn't part of that, but he was part of the series in... 2018-19 when they were missing Smith and Warner and they were trounced, really. They won at Perth, but it was a, a pretty comprehensive series victory for India the first time they'd won in Australia. So, Kalaja having been part of that, I'm certain he'll want to go around through to that. And why wouldn't he? He's the only player in the world who made more than a 1,000 test runs uh, in 2023. That's partially informed by uh, how, many, how many test matches Australia played. But still, you've got to make the runs and the average 60-odd along the way. So, and then there's the Ashes at home the year after. That's always a tantalising prospect for Aussie cricketers uh, trying to make it through one more Ashes series. So, um, yeah, Kawaja turned 37 a couple of weeks ago. It would take a lot to get around uh, two more cycles and still be playing at 39. But if he did do that, there's another World Test Championship final in the offing. So, um, yeah, it's a target-rich environment for Australian Test cricketers as far as big sort of career-defining moments in the next 24 months. And after Kawaja missed so much cricket through the earlier middle stages, I suspect he'll want to like squeeze that sponge as much as he can. Cole, I think a lot of us that aren't as close to cricket as you are, we're pretty shocked to see that South African squad for the upcoming series against New Zealand, uh, which was basically, uh, you know, seven uncapped players, including uh, the captain. Were you surprised by that or does it say anything about the future of test cricket to you? As a lot of people are saying, I mean, Steve Waugh mm. savaged the decision in the paper this morning. What, what did you make of it? Well, not surprised because they've been telegraphing this punch for about eight months. Yeah. Um, I'm slightly devastated about it. Um, like, I love Test cricket. Uh, this is my living. You know, it's kind of my life following Test cricket around the world and seeing one nation who've been top of the world as recently as five years ago completely retreating from the field for a series. What frustrates me is they've knocked off India last week in a home Test match, right? This is the start of their World Test Championship yeah. cycle and they've got a very soft draw. Truth, you know, the reality is... They're never going to have a better chance of finishing top two in the WTC than this cycle. Just the way it's played out with the teams they're playing and who they've got at home and who they've got away. And and because they do it now on percentage or match ratio in the old sort of footy terms from the early 90s, it's not done on points. It's done on percentage of wins or percentage of points acquired across the two-year cycle. If they lose 2-0 to New Zealand, that might might make it almost impossible for them to qualify. That's not an exaggeration because it could be quite competitive up towards the top. And they're sacrificing that because... Cricket South Africa are being bankrolled by the new SAT20, so effectively they're big bash. But the extra complexity in this is it's owned by the, it's being run by the, it's being bankrolled by the IPL owners, and they are dictating terms in Cricket South Africa, and that is not where we want to be as a global mm-hmm. game. We don't want international cricket uh, to be dictated by the interest, the commercial interests of T20 domestic owners. We've never seen it in this extreme 
uh, form before. We've seen many versions of this where players have been pulled out That's or right. yeah. sides have been weakened. But having seven debutants uh, potentially, having uh, their captain brand having never played a test match before, uh, that doesn't augur well. That sends bad signals to the wider world about uh, the health of international cricket. And I'm not saying that's the, the case everywhere. We'll, we'll never see, I, I expect, anything like that in Australia or England or even India. But for countries where putting on and playing and visiting to play test cricket, nationally contracted players earning far less money, um, that's where there's challenges. And look, when the, uh, we, we've had various different iterations of uh, cricket being taken over by um, well, there was the big three about 10 years ago when it yeah. was India, Australia and England carved the whole thing up amongst themselves. Now there's effectively the big one in India. That's really how global cricket is governed uh, via the BCCI into the ICC. The challenge into the future is how do we safeguard those countries who aren't making as much money from it? South Africa, the Windies jump out straight away. I mean, they're sending a squad to Australia with seven debutants with Jason Holder, their former captain, and Kyle Mayers, who made a double hundred on Test debut just last year both opting not to visit Australia in favour of playing T20 domestic cricket. So, uh, yeah, there's there's quite a bit to this. I share Steve Waugh's sentiments. I share Robert Craddock's sentiments from the paper yesterday. This presents a, a serious threat to the credibility of Test cricket, and we've got to find a way to get it sorted out soon because we can't let this drift for five years. If we do that, uh, we're going to be in a really bad place. Colo, is this where the ICC really need to step into this situation and, and control it? I know the BCCI have enormous power because the money talks, but um, setting up, I guess, some somewhat similar to the, the FIFA where there are international windows and then the other uh, domestic windows are available, the ICC surely needs to step in now for the future of cricket. Look, the ICC bringing in the World Test Championship was a really good thing. And similarly, the World Cup Super League, which preceded the last 50-over tournament. These are good ideas in, in their conception. Uh, the, the challenge the ICC are going to have is like what, what we're talking about here, where, where their infrastructure is compromised by members. The ICC is a, an organisation of its members. It's a federation, right? So they can't just provide an edict that this happens or that happens. It's, too, it's not really within their remit to do that. They can set the, they can set the architecture, but the members have to choose to um, work within it. So that's, uh, that's going to be hard. I, I do, though, think that um, what's been discussed for over a decade now is a test-playing fund, which helps subsidise countries that struggle. Uh, and um, look, we've seen New Zealand only ever host two test series, really, these days, including against Australia, right? That should be a marquee series in March. New Zealand, who are World Test champions a couple of cycles ago, the first time they're playing Australia in New Zealand since 2016, and they're playing two Test matches. Two Test matches. That's not even a series. That's a tryst. Uh, that's a that's a that's a coincidence. And yet, that's what they're getting because they can't afford to host Test cricket in New Zealand in quite the same way we can here. So where there should be a buffer, I think, is through a fund that's contributed to by Test playing nations to provide support to those who who are less well-off, um, and a bit of redistribution that way. That might be the mechanism uh, that, that, that needs to be uh, looked into because at this stage, I think, Jules, you and I had a conversation about this last year when the Windies were out here. It, it does get quite sombre and quite sad, sad when you forecast what the world might look like in five years' time mm. when it could be that players are being contracted full-time by their IPL franchise and the affiliates that come from that nearly happened with Jofra Archer this year in England, right, where... The Mumbai Indians and all of the various different sides that fall underneath that around the world want a Joffre for 12 months a year and he'd be released to England, you know, as and when they see fit. We never want to, like, that would be, that would change the world entirely where players are, where their first loyalty lies with their franchises and they get released 
occasionally, more that football model uh, that you're describing there with Windows. Maybe that has to be the solution, but um, but it'll it'll jar for people like us who, who love international cricket and have been brought up with a uh, with a, a world where Test cricket and international cricket comes first. It's going to take a lot of adjustment where that isn't the case and. That's the way we're drifting unless we get in and intervene in the short term. Yeah, I think you're right, Colin. The time is now absolutely to act. Now, before I let you go, the final word, it's a podcast. It's turned into a road show. Uh, <laughs> who have we got lined up for the Sydney test? Yeah, we have Michael Bevan, Made in Heaven. Oh. He's joining uh, myself and Jeff Lemon on stage at the Sydney Comedy Store on the 7th of January. Uh, we sold out the corner in Melbourne with, uh, with Max here a yep. few weeks ago. It was a great show, so... Um, yeah, these tend to be wonderful nights for cricket people. So if you're familiar with the podcast or if you're not, uh, 7th of January, just search to find a word in all the usual places and you'll be able to find a ticket link to our show with Bebo. Yeah, beautiful, Colo. Uh, look forward to that one yet. And every time New Year's Day rocks around, we go back to 96 and that famous four-off uh, Roger Harper uh, with Michael Bevan. Uh, thanks for your time, Colo. Look forward to uh, the, hearing you on the test match tomorrow. Cheers, gents. Have a good day. See you, mate. Adam Collins there. It's 24 minutes past eight.